Our response to an LDS explanation of Joseph Smith's polyandry next on Polygamy, What Loves This? Welcome to our discussion on Mormon polygamy with co-host Earl Erskine, and thank you again for coming and participating. My pleasure. (laughs) Helping in this endeavor. Um, Interesting topic we have this time. Fascinating. This time we are discussing one person's defense, LDS member of Joseph Smith's polyandry. Now, polyandry is when a female is married to more than one husband at the same time. This discussion is from an article that you can find at the link on the screen. It's ldsanswers.org and was written by L. Hannah Stoddard. It's entitled, How Could Joseph Smith's Polyandrous Marriages Be Explained? Well, she goes to explain them her way. Tries. Uh, now, L. Hannah Stoddard has been involved in various Mormon church projects, including the executive director of the Joseph Smith Foundation. She has also been a history teacher. But we have to wonder, she was a history teacher, why didn't her research for this article include biblical history? Um, The language and the definitions, after all, she claims to rely upon the Bible for her responses, for her explanations. But Mormonism doesn't teach, in fact cannot teach, correct understanding of the Bible, as this verse in 2 Corinthians explains. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, the Old Old Covenant, Moses, when it says Moses is read, is referring to the Old Testament, where God gave the religious and ceremonial laws to the Israelites and only to the Israelites. I don't think a lot of people understand that. That's a unique thought. I don't know about polygamists, but in Mm -hmm. Mormonism, Yeah, exactly, because they live so much in the Old Testament. Yes, they don't. Now, notice verse 16 that Earl just read. When a person turns to the Lord... The veil that lies over their hearts is removed. Now, the Lord is, of course, the Lord Jesus, the biblical Jesus. Then they are unable to understand what God teaches throughout the entire Bible. Mormonism doesn't seem to understand that the Old Testament temple, the ceremonial laws and the sacrifices and priesthood and ordinances were given only to ancient Israel. They weren't given to any other people. And we have some scriptures to back that up. Yeah, from Psalms 147, 19 through 20. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. (laughs) And then the next verse explains that God gave the Israelites the Sabbath day, and this is just an example, as a covenant between him and them. And that's from, this is from Exodus chapter 31, 16, and 17. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, mm-hmm. observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. So it's not between him and any other people on the planet. Now like we it. need to note here that Old Testament ordinances and the temples and so on were given only to Israel, but the Bible also reminds his readers 
that God has written the moral law on the hearts of all people, of everyone. So the moral law is written on our hearts, yeah. but all of the other Old Testament ordinances and rituals and ceremonies and so on are given only to Israel. Now, the science of DNA is evidence that ancient Book of Mormon people were not Israelites. So they can't claim right. that, that the law was given to them because they are not Israelites. Now, all this, of course, is laying the foundation that Mormonism and this article is full of errors regarding these topics. Now, the next quote is from a letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to the Gentile church in Ephesus. Gentiles who had become believers in the Jewish Messiah he reminds them that God had given his laws, ordinances, and covenants only to Israel. Ephesians 2, 12 through 16. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. And that's bringing the Gentiles yeah. and the Jews together in one faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, notice verse 15, where it says, through the cross, Jesus has abolished the law, yeah. the commandments and ordinances given to the Old Testament nation of Israel. Jesus fulfilled them. Now, God works with us by grace during, after the cross, right. grace through faith in Jesus who fulfilled the Old Testament laws and ordinances completely. Now, ceremonial laws and priesthood and temple sacrifices are abolished, as it said. Abol what does the word abolish mean? Done away with. I mean, we, yeah, <laughs> we have to take it literally, right? right? And she uses literally a lot in her article. <clears throat> the veil in the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom, and the temple itself was destroyed several years after that. Well, Joseph Smith comes along and reverses what God has done. They build temples, they reinstalled the veil, they reinstated the laws and ordinances, they organized a priesthood that God had abolished. All this only proves that Mormonism and its prophets and this article are counterfeit. Ooh. And then Smith brings in the doctrine of polygamy for salvation, something that was never commanded in the Old Testament laws and ordinances anyway. Now, the Bible tells us that what God has done, He has done it to last forever. And that includes salvation by grace through faith. Jesus is our only mediator, our only savior. And the woman who wrote this article cannot have understood the implications of trying to reinstate Old Testament, Old Covenant Jewish requirements. At the beginning of the article is a caution to the reader, which we <laughs> find quite disturbing. <laughs> yeah, due to the sacred nature of the topics discussed in this article, all irreverent or disrespectful comments will not be approved. Thank you for understanding. For those who are antagonistic to the mission of the prophet Joseph Smith, please do yourself a favor and leave this subject alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, there goes free speech and yeah, critical thinking. That's huh? for sure. <laughs> if we have something good to say, go ahead and make comments at yeah. the end of the article. Otherwise, say nothing is too sacred for you. 
Now, there's nothing sacred that should not and cannot be discussed, actually. The Bible is full of sacred topics and sacred responsibilities that God gave certain people and sacred experiences that certain people had. And rather than not discuss them, the Bible actually describes many of them in great detail. And since Mormonism makes a big deal out of what they call free agency, we'll use our free agency <laughs> and challenge her explanation of why it was okay for Joseph Smith to take already married women as plural wives, something that can never truly be considered as sacred anyway. So interesting. <laughs> for the, now, for those who may not realize it, Joseph Smith married at least 33 wives besides her legal wife, Emma. 33% or 11 of those women were already legally married and living with their legal husbands. They were not divorced. They weren't considering divorce. These 11 women had two husbands at the same time, and Joseph Smith knew they had legal husbands yeah. when he took them as plural wives. The writer of this article asks a question that many others might also ask about Joseph Smith's polyandry. Why would the Lord command Joseph Smith to be sealed to women who were already married? What right did Joseph Smith have to take these women? Now, that's the wrong question. It is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely is the wrong question. For a thorough and honest investigation, the question should be, did the Lord command Joseph Smith to be sealed to women who were already married? Not why did he, but yeah. did he? Asking the question like that would give an entirely different answer than the one she gives. Now, beginning with an assumption will only end in a deeper error. Yep. And that's what she has done in this article. Since she didn't ask or answer the question that way, we will. Of course, we use the Bible for our answer. She resolved her question also by claiming she uses the Bible, but not entirely. Yeah, this is what she said. <laughs> When viewed in the light of the biblical record and the pre-mortal life, the issue is more easily resolved, that mm -hmm. of being married to more than one. Now, to marry so one. she points to the Bible, yep. which is a truthful source. Right. But then she cites the pre-mortal life, which is not biblical. <laughs> Trusting the Bible is really odd for a Mormon. Their own creed denies that it's trustworthy. Yeah. But she said this about trusting the Bible. Many of the controversial issues surrounding the prophet Joseph Smith and his life can be clarified by turning to the Bible. We must remember that the prophet Joseph Smith was a restorer. His mission was to restore the sacred principles, doctrines, ordinances, and power that existed in the primitive church as was had among the righteous Israelites and as was possessed by the ancient antediluvian patriarchs. So this is where she goes back into the Old Testament claiming yeah. something that's not true that's, at all with those ancient Israelites. That's right. And so she begins on a false premise. Christian history shows that nothing has been lost and obviously nothing therefore needs to be restored. The wrong premise is that Joseph Smith needed to restore something that was lost. Now God is all powerful. That means that he has all power, power that no other entity has or shares, power that is never diminished, um, that is above every other power and includes power to keep his promises. That's very important. <laughs> yeah, it is. From multiple dozens of Bible passages explaining God's power and his almighty control of creation, we quote just a couple of them. Yeah, from First Chronicles and Second Chronicles. Here we go. 
Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. So all power and might belongs to God. God promises his word would endure forever. His dominion is forever. In Ephesians, he promises that his church would endure throughout all generations. And in Matthew, he says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And yet Mormonism teaches his promises failed. They claim wicked religious men corrupted and destroyed God's word and his church. But God has all power. And and no one can or did or has withstood him or his purposes. Joseph Smith did not need to restore something that God's promises and power established and maintains and protects forever. She presents Joseph Smith's reverence for the Bible, which is an odd idea at best. To understand Joseph Smith, you must, and this is her talking again, you must, to understand Joseph Smith, you must understand the Bible. He reverenced the Bible, interpreted the parts that were meant to be literal, literally, and strove to restore all as at first. Very few men and women today who identify themselves as Christian interpret the Bible literally. Joseph Smith, on the other hand, operated from a biblical worldview. (laughs) I chuckle at that. Can, can this statement I'm gonna choke on it, be actually. part of the chameleon movement of the <laughs> yeah, choke on it? The chameleon movement of, of Mormonism to appear more Christian by now claiming to accept the Bible. I guess they never have accepted the Bible. No. Uh, now we in in its entirety as it stands. Right. Now we have two quotes by Joseph Smith. Both statements question his reverence for the Bible. Uh, this is. These are both, I think, from the teaching of the prophet Joseph Smith. I believe the Bible as it read when it came from the pen of the original writers, ignorant translators, careless transcribers, or designing and corrupt priests have committed many errors. That doesn't show he trusts the Bible, does it? Not very much. No, that's a quote of Joseph Smith. Yeah, and again from the history of the church, too. There are many things in the Bible which do not, as they now stand, accord with the revelations of the Holy Ghost to me. So, so how can she say that Joseph Smith reverenced, reverenced the, Bible the Bible and look and had a biblical worldview when he claimed the Bible wasn't trustworthy, yeah. wasn't cor- that it had been corrupted? Yeah, yeah. And I, she surely would know that. She was a history teacher. Yeah. She surely would know that much about Be Mormonism. Be aware of Joseph Smith's comments as well. Well, she was yeah. head of the Joseph Smith Foundation. She yeah. ought to know what he said. Right. Uh, so that kind of confuses me of where she's at with this. In fact, doesn't the whole restoration idea hinge on the belief that the Bible has been corrupted? Right, and there was a need for a restoration. Yeah, yeah. right. How can she say Joseph Smith trusted the Bible when Mormon history says just the opposite? The whole foundation of Mormonism is the opposite. They've always maintained the Bible wasn't to be fully trusted, that many plain and precious things were removed and lost from it. If Joseph Smith trusted the Bible so strongly, why did he produce his own rewritten version of it? That's true. (laughs) Joseph Smith translation. Yeah. But we want to go back to her last quote where she said, now all this, by the way, is leading up to her explanation why she trusts the Bible as her explanation for Joseph Smith's polyandry. 
we want to go back to her last quote where she said, He reverenced the Bible, Joseph Smith, interpreted the parts that were meant to be literal, literally. She, she, she charged that other people, especially Christians, do not interpret the Bible as literally as we should. And we must really take exception to that. The places not to be taken literally are few and pretty much explained within the text itself, whether it's an allegory or a parable. Uh, but we do need to be careful that we don't add our own thoughts or change the text itself, of yeah. course. We continue with her explanation of Joseph Smith's polyandry. The disagreement between Mormons and some claiming to be mainstream Christians, in my opinion, typically centers on LDS theology being too literalistic in its interpretation of the Bible. Let us accept the challenge of President Brigham Young and take up the Bible and compare Joseph Smith to, its, to this standard. Will his engagement in polyandry stand the test? Well, the way she uses that, it will stand the test, but the way the Bible actually, when we take it and compare it, as this says to do, will not stand the test. Yep. She explains that there's a biblical precedence authorizing Joseph Smith to marry married women. Now, let us restate an important guideline. When you begin with the wrong premise, you will arrive at a wrong conclusion. She begins with a quote from Brigham Young, a very wrong premise. Yeah, this is kind of mind-blowing, yeah. actually. When we peruse the pages of sacred script, we discover another polyandrous marriage from over two millennia ago. President Brigham Young commented, The man Joseph, the husband of Mary, did not, that we know of, have more than one wife, but Mary, the wife of Joseph, had another husband. On this account, infidels have called the Savior a bastard. This is merely a human opinion upon one of the inscrutable doings of the Almighty. That very babe that was cradled in the manger was begotten not by Joseph, the husband of Mary, but by another being. Do you inquire by whom? He was begotten by God, our Heavenly Father. Okay. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. Even though the Bible says the Holy Ghost. Yeah, <laughs> right. Now, we want to... Focus your mind on how they use the word literal. That's very, very important in the way they describe the birth of Jesus. And this is where it is so important in their Mormon argument. When they claim that Mormonism claims that they believe Jesus Christ is the literal Son of God, they are agreeing with Brigham Young that God the Father came down from heaven, had literal sex with his daughter Mary, she got pregnant, and the baby Jesus was born of that literal sexual activity. Yeah. Okay, now that's what it means when they say the literal Son of God. Yeah. Okay, she writes this. While many modernists would balk at this literal interpretation of the Bible, a clear, unbiased reading of the New Testament Gospels reveal that no scripture contradicts this interpretation. On the contrary, there are several verses conveying that Jesus Christ was the literal begotten Son of God. A little gaslighting going on here. Now, she says unbiased reading of the New Testament. Mormonism is terribly biased in their Bible reading. Why didn't she rely upon a Bible 
concordance or lexicon or dictionary or encyclopedia or something, the, you know, the, the, the word begotten in the language of the New Testament is not defined as literal sex between God and Mary or have, giving birth to a child. It means unique. It means one of a kind. You can look it up yourself, but don't go to a Mormon dictionary, Bible dictionary. <laughs> go not. to a genuine Bible dictionary. She said there are several verses conveying that Jesus Christ was the literal begotten Son of God. That's not true. That mm. isn't true. There's not a single verse in the entire scripture saying Jesus was the literal Son of God. Begotten, yes, but not literal. Never literal Son of God. Now, these two words have totally two yeah, different uh, de definitions, literal mm -hmm. and only begotten. Then she quotes several verses as evidence that Jesus is the literal Son of God. But the word literal is absent from the verses. Notice it as Earl reads them. <laughs> Luke one thirty-five, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. No word literal there. No, and John chapter 10, verses 34 through 38, Jesus answered them, Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. Okay, now the word literal isn't there no. either, but she says that the Bible says that he is a literal Son of God. The word literal is never used. No. It is never used. The, she, she was begotten as a virgin. She remained a virgin until she gave birth, and that was a, a, a miracle done by the Holy Spirit within her body. That's what Luke 135 says. Yes. Now, remember, she's trying to justify <laughs> Joseph Smith's polyandry by using examples from the Bible that it was something God himself did with Mary. <laughs> she explains that the Mormon First Presidency has taught that scriptures designated God the Eternal Father by the name Elohim. Yeah. That's, and that's not biblical either. No. And that he is the literal parent of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, they might have taught that, but the Bible doesn't. <laughs> the Bible scriptures do not teach. We repeat that again. The Bible does not teach that idea at all. Mormonism does. The Bible does not. We have more from her. Okay. Jesus Christ is the Son of Elohim, both as spiritual and bodily offspring. That is to say, Elohim is literally the Father of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and also of the body in which Jesus Christ performed his mission in the flesh and which body died on the cross and was afterward taken up by the process of re resurrection and is now the immortalized tabernacle of the eternal Spirit of our Lord and Savior. No extended explanation of the title Son of God as applied to Jesus Christ appears necessary. We bow to him as the veritable Son of the living God in the fullest sense of the hallowed term. As Mary was his saintly mother, so the mighty God was his everlasting and literal Father. He was the only begotten of deity in the flesh to die that man may live. That this we once more affirm and declare as a glorious truth and a fundamental of Mormon faith. So here she uses the word literal as Elohim, God being the literal father yes. of, of um, the only begotten. <laughs> um, it's going to be interesting when 
when we all get to heaven and this gets explained. They're going to get more. pretty shocked, yeah. aren't they, when think, they hear? I think so. Yeah. Well, actually, when when a, a, an LDS person or a polygamous person who was raised, born and raised on Mormon doctrine, like you were, yeah. and you become a biblical a student of the Bible, right. you're pretty shocked then when right. you find out that yeah. what they taught you really it, wasn't it biblical shocking. truth. And to use this logic to justify Joseph Smith's polyandry is. Yeah. Is just kind of mind blowing. It's off really. base, way yeah. off base. Yeah, it it really is. And, and she admitted right there that this is a fundamental of the Mormon faith, oh, which yeah. is one evidence that Mormonism certainly is not Christian. Yeah. And she applies this so called event of Mary having two husbands to justify Joseph Smith's marrying already married women. But he did it 11 times. She, she's only got one example. He did it 11 times. And like you said, this is so out of whack. It's almost impossible yeah. to believe that people can believe it or teach such a thing of our God. They, they read into the Bible things that it doesn't even say. So true. Now, Jesus is not God's son in the sense of a human father and son relationship. God did not get married. He did not mate with Mary, who, according to Mormon doctrine, is his own daughter. Uh, Jesus is called God's son in the sense that he is God manifest in human flesh. Luke one thirty five, which she quoted, explains the supernatural conception of Jesus, uh, which is the reason he's called the son of God. You can read it yourself, Luke one thirty five. That's what it says. The word literal is not there. He's not the son of God resulting from sexual activity, but he is the same nature as God Almighty, the only person ever born who is the exact nature of God, which is what only begotten son means. The Jewish leaders in that day knew precisely what the phrase son of God meant. Jesus claimed to be God because Jesus was, he is God. No one but God has the nature of God. Now, using her logic, Judas was called the son of perdition. Yeah. Did son of perdition, did perdition come and have sex with Judas's mother? What Was Judas the literal son of perdition? Of course not, but that's the logic they use as evidence that God had sex with Mary. This needs two parts to further explain her defense for Smith's multiple marriages to multiple women who already had legal husbands. So next time we'll finish discussing this article in part two. Very fascinating. It is. Yeah. It is. And, and so part two. <laughs> a little shocking. It is shocking. Yeah. It, and it's sad. It's so sad that they would believe that God is holy. And, and to blame him for something like this is, yeah. is really not a thing to do. Thanks. There is a more simple explanation, of very, course. Very simple. Yeah, Luke 135. Is, yeah, is, well, is, I mean, is, Joseph Smith wanted... Oh, for his poly... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think true. that's a more simple explanation. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Thank you, Earl. Yeah. Now, proponents of polygamy argue that polygamy is not adultery because God brings together those who have a proper Mormon polygamous marriage sealing ceremony. However, their claims do not agree with the Bible. The Bible forbids adultery, and the word adultery is related to the word adulterate, which means to render something poorer in quality by adding another substance. Adultery is the adulteration of marriage by adding a third or more persons. It is sexual activity between a married person and someone other than his or her legal spouse. The seventh commandment forbids adultery. It has no specifications or further explanation, but is a general blanket statement for all adulterous activity. Polygamy is not excluded. 
humans have blurred the lines of marriage, but God hasn't changed. Polygamy adulterates God's original plan and institution of marriage as seen in Adam and Eve, one man, one woman, no third person. Polygamy and adultery is forgivable. It's only if your repentance comes first, which means turning away from the sin and embracing the redemption that's found only in Jesus Christ. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.